Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Three, Risk Analysis. Chapter Five. The lights of the ship seemed brighter, closer. I reached out, stretched out, grasping for a rounded corner. The body of the vessel slipped by, but one of the strut-like legs was there and I hooked an arm on it, chest heaving, my own scream adding to the now fading noise all around. For the air was almost gone, and the bright fog of its extinction was going with it. I hung there, gasping, yelling, crying, unheard by anyone, anywhere. The soft, flexible plastic of the bubble helmet fogged up and I couldn't see for quite some time. It went on and on, this panic attack. I had my legs around the strut. I held it with my whole body. I held it with absolute desperation. Tears and mucus floated inside the helmet, randomly clinging to the inside of it and to my hair and cheek. Around me was total vac now, total silence. And those exterior lights were the only source of illumination in all the tiny universe. Ten more minutes. Twenty. Forty-five, and Jaybird just coasted there in a solar orbit. Another hour of this and it would be out of sight, lost in the corona of the primary from our point of view. That would require us to move in order to keep an optical lock, which would impose some risk. If anyone detected a heat anomaly, despite our pre-cooling, we'd get attention. Yep, here it is, Chris announced looking over the latest decrypted communications. They wanted everyone in optimum positions. Countdown was reset to... Oh boy, 30 seconds from now. That kicked energy levels up a notch. We all watched the visual, piped directly from sensors to our various stations. Jaybird just seemed to hang there, a gray figure on a dark background of stars. And then suddenly, it was gone. Was that it? Chris asked, excitement held at bay with some effort. John, Stina, confirm we didn't lose visual. The camera is still focused in the same spot, yes? Yeah, SS-1 answered. The ship jumped. I have a big gravit and exit discharge right there, and a corresponding entrance cone on the far side of the system. 260 million clicks, and all of it inside the gravity shadow. 
We all started talking at once. I don't believe it, Mavis commented admiringly. I never thought I'd see the day, Dieter added on the channel. Absolutely amazing, Chris agreed, and I could hear his grin. Only Stina sounded concerned when she spoke. Well, serious anyway. And then suddenly, we all were. The ship put out a pulse I've never seen before when it jumped. It was strange. Oh no, John cried, sounding like he'd been flipping through readouts as Stina was speaking. It caused a sympathetic repulse on our electrical system, like a secondary flash. For maybe a full second, we were visible. Crap, Mavis called then. Crap, crap, crap. I have microwave washes. They're focused in this direction. I see it. I see it, John replied, jumping back to passive displays. Suddenly, an audible alarm sounded, and SS-1 cursed out loud. We're getting sprayed with charged particulates. Somebody has a lock on us, but I don't know what with. This ship is transparent to regular targeting radar. They'll pass along our readings to the warship, I pronounced. They'll all have our coordinates in a minute. We need to run, Stina stated in a lull between the outbursts. We're not supposed to be here. I'm getting comm challenges now, John stated. We have to announce who we are, I said. No, Chris ordered, real command in his voice at last. We maintain silence. This cannot get back to our employers. UH has the right to be here, I argued. We will not reflect bad on Meerschaum. It would be a mark on all our records. This isn't our fault. It won't be my fault, D-Jock, when I shove you out the airlock. That's enough, both of you, Mavis intruded flatly, but with an edge to her voice. We have to identify ourselves. It's in the treaty. If the ship should get spotted, we have to come clean. That's the law, and we will be following it. John, open up a standard channel. I, um, I, I can't. Excuse me? Comm channels are jammed, Stina put in. White noise and trash data. Looks to be coming from the station, the other spesh explained. It's that energy splash. Very powerful. Some kind of focused charpack beam. Maybe part of their fine-grained sensors. I've never seen anything like it. It's not a weapon, I don't think. It is right now, I injected. It's creating EMF all up and down the radio band when it hits us. Uh, that could be our stealth shielding on the hull, causing a scattering effect. Can't you get through it all? The captain asked, sounding worried. I can receive, but not send. If we had laser comm aboard, we'd be okay, but there isn't. They cut it to save space. Mavis cursed like a sailor. This will quash my targeting sensors, I stated. We'll need to be point blank to aim with opticals and passives. That's the least of our problems. Chris replied dismissively. We don't dare approach another vessel without IDing ourselves. That warship would pick us off. It can do that right now, I stated. A linebreaker security cruiser can target at great distances. But it can't see us. If that changes, I put in, we're as good as splashed if Liquidator wants us that way. Thank you for stating the obvious once again, Ejock, Chris snapped. And who got us into this to begin with? Who insisted we go this far? Silence on channels, Mavis commanded. If you two don't keep it cool, I'll send both of you out there with a handwritten note. If we try to leave, they might fire. If we try to approach, they might fire. We need options right now, not chaos. 
If you don't have any new information or a real idea of what to do, keep your mouth shut. That's a shipwide order. So I minded my P's and Q's, smoldering, with Chris doing the same. Looking at the real-time sensor data, coming in from those passive sensors not blinded by the beam, I could find nothing of value for gunnery. There weren't any simulations to use with this information, because there were no vessels close enough for Shady Lady to see and hit. Team ships, on the other hand, could fire long-range, directed energy weapons. It would be over for us in an instant if that were to happen. But I thought DEWs to be unlikely choices in this situation, since the fleeties could not see us directly. Energy weapons require extreme precision, unlike, say, mass effect devices, like nukes riding in on fast strike missiles. Such things could pull heavy G's and arrive in our general neighborhood in only seven or eight hours. They could be off target by hundreds or even thousands of meters, depending on the yield, and still be able to take us out. We were half blind right now, but even if we weren't, Liquidator and the other team vessels were way out of our range. Too far for me to target any missiles they launched when there was at least a slight chance of intercepting them. Once close enough to resolve as targets, they'd be going too fast to do anything about. Such weapons could easily be moving at zero point something of C by that time. And even if, by a miracle, I did destroy them, at least some of the scrap would keep on coming. At those speeds, the kinetic potential of even a tiny flake of paint would be enough to tear us in half. Sitting out there in the limitless reaches of space, we were, nonetheless, pinned very neatly in a corner. A few hours later, passive light sensors showed that we were being painted with targeting lasers from Liquidator, or it was trying to. Our magic coating on the hull simply wasn't returning enough light for them to get a lock. The focused charged particle accelerator beam from the station, though, still danced on our hull, so I had no illusions we were invisible again. Chris thought we might be, for whatever reason, and asked Mavis to alter course just a bit. Not enough to look like we were running away, but enough to shrug off the military sighting systems. We did lose the lasers, but only for a few seconds. They then followed us along in a jittery, herky-jerky sort of way, like you'd expect if they were pointing them out blindly. Mavis moved us again. Just the slightest lurch to port and with a bit of yaw thrown in, our inertial compensators taking all but the slightest sensation away. The lasers still followed. How can the cruisers still be tracking us? Chris demanded from his sensor specialists. I, I don't know, John replied, sounding really confused. The amount of EMF rad we'd be sending back their way should be impossible for military vessels to pick out from the normal background noise. Stina just looked at our ML, as if in agreement. Actually, I don't know what she was thinking. They aren't, I put in after a beat, the slowness from up front irritating me. That science station is. My like Vernier? Its piping team are coordinates. Their equipment is designed for higher resolutions by an order of magnitude, far more than anything weapon targeting requires. 
They could pick up someone smoking a Mosca Cigarello out this far. They can probably see us anywhere we go right now. If we could lose them for just a moment, though, we might lose them entirely. Our stealth tech is very good. Liquidator would have nothing to target directly. Then Mavis could get us clear before they push nukes or something out this way. I didn't think about that, Stina said plainly and without even a hint of self-consciousness. We're not spies, Chris growled in exasperation. They have no reason to attack. We can't stay here, but we can't heave too? Ejok, how do we lose that beam? Once we're out of it, we can call and identify ourselves. Then they'd have to stand down. No, they wouldn't. I corrected. They could shoot at us all they wanted, because if we called them, they'd have our coordinates again. Don't be pedantic, he snapped. Let me and the captain worry about the direction of this mission, okay? Just answer the question. Right. Well, if we could create a big enough multi-spec flash between the station and us, it might overwhelm their receiving apertures. Sensors would have to be dialed in very finely right now to pick up what little we're throwing back that way. If Mavis then moved us off obliquely, it would be a fine timing thing. Then, yes, I think we could. But I have no ordinance that can deliver a flash like that. He was silent for a moment, considering our options. All our options. Can any of their ships cut us off if we run for the jump point right now? Yes. yes. John, Stina, and I all pronounced simultaneously. We're not fast with the temperature dampening units engaged, I supplied. Their fighters can overtake us in about three days. Their missiles could do it much sooner, though I'm not too worried about that. DEWs are the problem. Liquidator might be able to hit us even from way over there. And if a fighter boat gets in range, it can do the same. That would be bad. We can't take even a single hit from military-class energy weapons. Dieter, can you disengage the pre-coolers and get us some speed? Sure, he replied. That's not a problem. Just tell me when. Ejok, if we do this, can we outrun the fighters? Mm, one moment. Dieter, what kind of acceleration could we hope for without that system running? I can't tell you that. I'm sorry. It's classified. I closed my eyes and counted to five. Could you give me a ballpark figure, then, that doesn't break your NDA? I rephrased, barely holding the frustration in place. I... yeah, I guess. Hold on. A few minutes later, he piped over some numbers. They were obviously rounded off, indicating he had just made them up. I brought up a sim and plugged in our current position, the locations of all team vessels we knew about, and then Dieter's off-the-cuff information. Okay, yes, we can make it to the rim before any small craft can intercept or be in likely range to use energy weapons. I don't have any hard and fast details on Liquidator, though, so we should probably assume it can hit us right up to the moment of star jump. There are Alliance battleships that can hit from that far, so there's no reason to believe a more advanced vessel couldn't. More silence, and then a sigh. <sighs> the mission is scrubbed, Chris announced. Time to leave. Engineering, shut off the precoolers and crank up power. Mavis, get us out of here. Top speed. If that cruiser fires its guns, it's entirely possible it could miss. 
If any fighters get close enough for an optical lock, they won't. Aye, aye, Dieter acknowledged, the old wet navy phrase making me smile despite all. No one ever used it now, except to be ironic. You got it, our captain stated, and already inertial compensators were in effect. Mavis's reaction time, coupled with Shady Lady's responsiveness, was really impressive. Maybe, plugged in as she was, all the ship required was for her to think about it, and it happened. That made me consider the idea of getting cyber neural implants of my own. They weren't yet legal in Ainspace for commercial gunners, but there was legislation being pushed through to change that. And both corporate and noble space had few such restrictions. Church space? Well, I had no idea, and less interest. That was on the other side of everywhere that mattered, and I'd never even been there. The other ships are shouting, John said plainly. It'd be nice if we could respond. The energy beam from the station is still on us, but the laser sights can't seem to keep up. They aren't useful for targeting anyway, considering our hull. But team, we'll be seeing our heat trail right now. They need more than that for DEW attacks, I injected. Dieter, Chris then called. Can Mavis run us at full speed all the way out to the jump point? Sure, he replied. This is some robust stuff back here, and it's in perfect shape if I say so myself. Captain, just tell me what you need and you'll have it. I will, she spoke, sounding distracted. And so we ran. I set up some audibles to blare throughout the ship should we get locked on again by any targeting systems. The fighter boats the team had deployed for the test were too far out to be a direct threat. Missiles from them, or from the cruiser, could follow our tack, though, so we weren't out of the woods. Sure, we were faster now, but some military-class ordnance had extensive range and could very possibly overtake us. My only consolation in that thought was just how expensive such weapons were. Any commander that gave the order to fire one or more would have to justify it to the corporate bean counters, especially when less expensive alternatives, such as energy guns, existed. A career military officer over here in Moneyland didn't get to command a ship of the line without also being a politician and upper management monkey. I called up all the info we had on the current command staff of Liquidator, just in case there were some spendthrifts or gung-ho types to worry about. I left Gunnery then with what our classified database had on the cruiser, scrolling across my retinals in a ghostly fashion. I found this method useful for skimming while I was doing other things. It sort of split my attention, but at this point, with no one near enough to attack yet and a series of alarms in place to warn us the moment anyone decided to try it anyway... I felt comfortable enough to leave my post and get something to eat. I told Chris about it just in case, but I don't know if he even heard me. The man seemed lost in thought and genuinely upset about having to leave. Frankly, I thought we were walking away ahead of the game. We'd pushed our luck about as far as humanly possible, and then some. Our contract was complete, and we'd learned of a potential security issue for the Alliance. Heck! For the galaxy, UH had to be able to find something profit-bearing in that. Yet our ML was pacing the companionways in a brooding funk, as if his favorite puppy had been kicked, or worse yet, 
like he was the puppy. I grabbed a dehydrated meat-like stew, added hot water, and sat down in the common room with SS1 and SS2, who spoke to each other in a kind of techno-pigeon I didn't understand. They were deep in their specialty, which had its own terminology and shorthand. For some time, they cross-referenced and studied various elements of the incoming data from passives, filtered it out from the EMF bouncing off the hall, compared it to archived information, made notes, and then formulated different approaches to organizing it all. They tackled fine details, not just one by one, but often five at a time. I couldn't follow them at all. They weren't talking to me anyway, but it was weird to observe a specialty in action that was related, at least in part, to my own, that I was wholly undertrained in. It made me think of my own research, and I refocused on it. The commander of Liquidator, as well as his senior officers, had public profiles on record. This amounted to little more than sanitized news bites created by a Montero marketing arm. It crowed about the talents and virtues of the team staff that would be in charge of corporate's newest toy. I read their personal statements included in the file, all of which were doubtlessly squirted out by some underpaid copywriter. The whole thing was just a pile of go-company advertorial nonsense, but it was a place to start. We had a massive database of Montero facts and figures that UH had installed before launch. Some of this info seemed to have been purloined from AIN intelligence sources, though most of it was public and unrestricted. It had all been carefully refined and cross-tagged by United Humanities' legendary contextual data analysts, resulting in a very comprehensive library of corporate space information. I cross-referenced the officers' names and backgrounds with all their known command positions previous to Liquidator, as well as any educational records and notable affiliations. Bit by bit, as I sat eating, I built up a few vague personality profiles of the people in charge of hunting us down. There were significant holes in my data, to be sure, but by the time I dropped my tray and utensils in the cleaner reclamator in the galliette, I felt like I'd painted a picture of a mixed bag of career management and career military types. Superficially, that sounded dysfunctional, but I doubted they'd be together on a post like this if that was really the case. I chose to go with the opposite assumption, that they worked very well together with the commander and his staff running a tight ship. And yet, we had been a ghost, one of the most advanced stealth vessels in space. We'd been able to slink right past their defenses and listening posts. I doubted very much that there was any fortified position in space that Shady Lady couldn't penetrate to some degree. They'd only seen us at all because of an unpredictable variable. It was actually comforting, to an extent, to realize that. And the comfort lasted all of five minutes, before John and Stina both made surprised noises and started tripping alarms. Oh my god, SS1 fairly shouted. Graviton spike! There's an exit cone in our path, SS2 added quietly. Chris ran forward from his bunk, calling for details. We collided as I tried to dash past him on my way to gunnery. 
He stumbled on with a curse. I went down to my knees, unhurt, but scared. Standing and looking back, I saw Mavis far up front, shaking her shiny, plugged-in head with what looked like disgust or panic. And then my own preset alarm went off, indicating that someone had just gotten a weapons lock on our invisible little ship. You have been listening to Risk Analysis, a science fiction novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter, where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2016 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Risk Analysis is called The Inventor by Zach Beaver and is available on SoundCloud.com. Risk Analysis is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.